Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, we're taking a look at David O. Russell's Hellraiser. Ooh, ah, that's bad. David O. Russell's <laughs> Amsterdam. We're also looking at Hellraiser on Hulu. The exciting reboot uh, of the Clive Barker series is out. We're going to talk about it. We're going to look at some trailers coming out. Most excitingly, I think the Super Mario Brothers movie was making waves. I want to share our thoughts uh, in the middle of the show. Before we get to all of that, we need to talk about the news. Our first story this week is already on screen because I forgot to minimize it before I started the Facebook Live. Kenneth Branagh's third Hercule Poirot film, A Haunting in Venice, cast Tina Fey, Jamie Dornan, Michelle Yeoh, and more. Andy, I can't believe there's going to be a third one of these. We saw Death on the Nile on the show and we thought, death death indeed. There's no way they're going to make any more of these movies. Death of this genre. Yeah, death, right. a, a haunting indeed. Uh, it's haunting box offices. Uh, what What is going on with this? Right. How, so the, how is there another one of these a third yeah i don't know a third uh agatha christie whodunit um based on uh her work called halloween party is uh gonna be made again bringing back of course kenneth Brat branagh as a uh, hercule poirot famous mustachioed detective uh with a, a you know brand new cast now these movies seem to be kind of getting not worse but just doing less and less well uh death on the nile course had huge problems with both uh the pandemic delays and army hammer being unmarketable uh <laughs> so i yeah i'm surprised that they're still sticking to it but they they must be doing well enough the, the thing is that these just get less and less well known like i've heard of Mor murder on the orient express it's been made several times i've heard of death on the nile that i've never heard of this and i, I feel like the, the, it's just not going to be familiar to audiences I tell you, the title's a little bit more exciting, right? The other two kind of sound like old murder mystery reboot things. A Haunting in Venice almost slides right into, like, horror, you know, new horror where we are today, which might bring some new people. Additionally, the cast is okay for this one. Uh, namely, it's Kenneth Branagh as Poirot. Uh, Michelle Yeoh from Everything Ever All at Once uh, is uh, in the film. Jamie Dornan uh, from formerly Fifty Shades of Grey. I think it's probably the his most known thing. Uh, and Tina Fey from 30 rock and snl uh, is going to be uh in this movie and then after that it's a lot of people i don't know and i think that is indicative of what you were saying that all of these movies kind of seem to get smaller in scope they continually have smaller returns to the box office for what it's worth any series does this the jurassic world movies did this transformers movie do this like that you you lose money over time a little bit unless you're something like fast and furious where you have like an insane push in the middle of the series to, to get you back up to the top um I don't know. I, I honestly, I can't tell you how this one's happening. Like the last one did not do that good. Uh, best guess, they signed a deal with Kenneth Branagh to do like three of these at some point, and this is going to be it. Because there's no, there's no way. Like who's who's still funding these things? Like it doesn't make it doesn't make any sense to me. They're fine films. They're fine films, but like they're not they're not big and grand in 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 scope or in box office return and like that's usually what works at the box office now so it's just surprising that there's another one but if you're a fan a good news right I mean, here here it is right oh. it, it is it is it is an author and a brand that people know um and kenneth branagh does do a good job at creating these movies but it, it is still surprising given that death on the nile was kind of a bomb yeah, like Batgirl on HBO gets axed for taxes, but like <laughs> Hercule Poirot 3 is happening. Like, I just, I'm a little surprised. That's all. But hey, we'll probably watch it on the show. We watched Death on the Nile. You can roll back to our older episodes and check that out uh, in our backlog available on iTunes and everywhere else. Uh, next story. Uh, 
something's going on with Marvel's Blade. <laughs> Marvel Studios has paused Blade, uh, production on Blade, to search for a new director. Uh, the film was supposed to start shooting in November, next month, less than 30 days. And their director has exited uh, the film. Bassam Tariq is his name. And he is no longer going to be involved in the film starring Mahershala Ali. Oscar winner Mahershala Ali as the titular vampire hunter Blade. Um, this, this actually leads to more news that we're going to get to here in just a second with our next story. But for now, Andy, hot takes on the troubled production of Blade. It's not a good sign for the very kind of time tight timeline that the mcu tries to stay on it also makes it less likely that mahershala ali is actually going to stay on the project if this gets too much more delayed um, i could see him walking away from it which would be really unfortunate i had seen a rumor last week on twitter which is you know not worth much but they i had heard that mahershala ali is frustrated with the production on blade so seeing this story like that suddenly makes a lot more sense man won an oscar a couple years ago now and, and hasn't done much since you know he took his victory lap and i think took a year off to figure out what's next but this is kind of supposed to be the thing blade is hinted at uh at the end of the eternals which came out a while ago it is next on the slate after black panther wakanda forever uh for marvel they announced this at comic con uh getting pushed back is not great especially because of its larger implications in the rest of the marvel universe uh our next story Following the delay of Blade, Deadpool 3, Fantastic Four, Secret Wars, and more Marvel movies have also been delayed. And in an amazing cascade, cascading domino effect, uh, turns out moving Blade back moves back a bunch of stuff. Andy, you want to expand on this for me? Um, yeah, this is this is what we were talking about. It's a domino effect, and a bunch of stuff is moving. Blade is moving almost a year. Uh, some other things just a couple of months. Some is, as much as eight to ten to six months. Um this is kind of bad, bad because as we know, the it seems like phase four, five, six have taken a while to get moving. Phase four is what which I have been calling phase snore uh, from, <laughs> from its lack of end. I mean, phase five and six look really interesting. And now all of it is getting delayed because of, of production things. And that's just it, it's going to maybe start really hurting this brand. I, I feel like uh, Marvel is already starting to maybe deal with not comic book f fatigue, but with Marvel fatigue, um, they've put out a slew of kind of uh, not, I don't want to say mediocre, just not quite as interesting films and properties. The TV shows haven't helped either as uh, kind of the phase one through three were. we, I remember being very excited about every single movie that was coming out, no matter what, what phase we were in. And now I'm just like, Oh, wake me in 2026 when the good stuff gets here. You're right. Like those early phases were, I mean, just rock solid every time. I mean, the, the movies weren't necessarily, but the hype around them just continued to grow, right? Iron Man, Iron Man 2, Thor, Captain America. There was that old Hulk movie. And we thought maybe there'd be another one coming down the line. Like there were a lot of exciting Avengers, Avengers Age of Ultron, Civil War, right? Like there's a lot of real, real good heavy hitters in there. Uh, leading all the way up to Infinity War and then Endgame, but it feels an awful lot like Phase Four is where Disney fumbled the bag. Like it, it, it looking at it now, it feels undeniable that these movies are like not inextricably linked in any particular order. They were pushed around in production to make them fit, and then they had reshoots where 
characters reference events from other movies just kind of offhandedly to try to make it feel like it was cohesive and ultimately it wasn't fans have been complaining about this for a while including us here on off script uh and now that they're starting to get their stuff in line and they're announcing at comic-con hey phase five is going to be this it turns out in order for all of this to work you need these movies to come out basically in sequential order now and they're not they don't have uh, the conveniences that were afforded by them by the disorganization of episode of phase four. Now these things need to line up. And if they delay one, they have to delay the everything others. else gets pushed. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I, I know I said it at the headline, but just a quick, quick uh, coverage. Uh, Blade is getting moved from November, November next year to September, which is a ripple effect, including Deadpool three getting bumped six months, fantastic four getting bumped six months after that, uh, an untitled Marvel film after that one getting pushed uh, another six months. And then Avengers <laughs> getting pushed again. And then another untitled movie, Marvel movie getting put, getting completely removed from Disney's calendar. Like, good God. <laughs> how do you, how do you have your film from franchise going into 2026 disrupted by a delay in october 2022 I, I i it shows they're planning far ahead but maybe not planning very well because it's hard to believe that like this this would be so upsetting based on what they've been doing this last couple years with marvel uh, yeah well i think they what you're saying about the these delays and that i mean we're talking about things that are nearly four years away three and a half years away literally untitled unannounced films yeah like we nobody in the public even knows what it is and, and disney's like yeah we're gonna have to delay that <laughs> what, what are you guys doing what do you mean well also it's last la i mean last week they they announced deadpool or maybe it was two weeks ago the the new deadpool movie and they said september 2024 two weeks later that date has changed how many yeah. more changes are we gonna have in the following years i mean like i said the stuff is so far out that is just it's gonna get pushed together. I mean, no, I, I'm I'm wondering if we even make it to phase six at this point. Yeah, no, I, I think you're absolutely right. Like it just goes to show for those of us that have been paying attention, uh, for those of you that have been paying attention, like when Marvel announces their like big slate of movies coming up, like it is pie in the sky. It is this is what we hope will happen. That's what they're saying. We we would love it if these movies came out in this order at these times, because clearly it's not true. Like they've they've moved stuff around in the past. But this is like this is a lot of things getting moved around. And I'm glad in a way that this is happening because they are snapping into structure and saying phase four was clumsy. We need to get back on the horse. I think that's wise. But it's concerning that like a, a, a bump this late in production on a movie you guys really should have together by now is upsetting plans almost half a decade away. Like that's that's really odd. And that speaks to a lack of structure instead of, you know actual factual structure to me but well and it's also just there's so many movies in production and it's like maybe you should do like half of these and just make sure they come out on time and yeah because uh, right. maybe, it, maybe it, we should it, just wait it's slowly turning into a quantity over quality situation yep. hey for what it's worth maybe those untitled marvel movies coming in 2025 and 2026 or x-men movies that's worth mentioning like they, they did say they were going to kind of sit on those till 2025 ish so I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's Eternals 2, starring Harry Styles as Thanos' brother. <laughs> maybe it's maybe it's that Shang-Chi sequel where they're supposed to go to space and do alien stuff. 
I have no idea what it's going to be. Uh, and it seems like Disney doesn't either. So our last story this week before we move on to Amsterdam uh, at the box office. Smile is kind of crushing it. Uh, a horror movie we have not watched here. Uh, we'll talk about why in a second. Meanwhile, Amsterdam is a tremendous bomb. But, 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 and bomb. Lyle, Lyle Crocodile is okay, I guess, at least as far as returns go. Andy, what do you know about this? Right, so Smile is doing great at the box office. Uh, it's earned almost $90 million worldwide uh, on a $17 million budget. So, like, it's a certified hit. And it's amazing how horror just always always does well like there's never there's no never a bad time to to release horror um and it's generally pretty cheap uh to to make that one of the stories of uh i mean amsterdam completely bombing uh opened to six and a half million and this is an 80 million dollar movie it's so expensive it was so unnecessarily expensive and it's uh, it's done terribly i mean it, there there's another article i saw today that it's going to lose 100 million dollars possibly um lyle lyle crocodile was the uh is a children's film uh that they i guess hoped would do a little bit better but uh still pretty uh weak opening and a lot of schools are off this monday for um columbus day or indigenous persons day so they were hoping to get a little bit of a boost from that from uh, kids being out of school but it seems to not have really taken um, I guess I'm not too surprised at Smile's success. Uh, I kind of wrote it off. I didn't think it looked very clever. Um, and it turns out, like, not only have a lot of people gone and seen it, but it's continued to have solid word of mouth. Like, it's not having a whole lot of fallout, we, like, a fall off from, from week to week that would normally be expected with what would otherwise be a cheesy horror flick. I think people really like this one. I haven't seen it, uh, but I, I've heard pretty much nothing but good things. Maybe it's just hype. Uh, Lila Lila Crocodile is, yeah, a live action slash animated feature starring uh, uh, young singer Sean Mendez as the titular Lyle Lyle Crocodile who sings and takes baths. And I think Constance Wu's in it, who I love. Constance Wu's great. Uh, and Javier Bardem is in Lyle Lyle Crocodile, which is like, oh, okay. Uh, what's he doing there? You know, great. Uh, whatever. I I'm glad that's doing fine. I think it is so, so funny. Pete comedy. <laughs> Amsterdam is bombing because Amsterdam has all, I mean, you just look at the trailer, it has all the trappings of an Oscar feature, right? killer cast my god dream list cast any director would love to work with these people uh you get david o russell who's obviously done some big features before uh controversy withstanding um you know it's artsy it's about a weird place it's set in the 1930s amsterdam we're gonna talk about it in a second but i i i, I think it is so funny that this movie is bombing <laughs> yeah well and i looked at his, his uh you know previous movies have done like american hustle uh was kind of expensive but it went on to make 250 million globally so you know he he has proven himself at the box office before but uh amsterdam amsterdam is just not connecting with audiences at all yeah well you know american hustle had the benefit of um you know what felt like more i'm not thinking of american hustle. i'm thinking of a different movie i'm thinking of vice which i don't think is a david o. russell film uh it might be though i don't know uh my, my point is like i i think people just didn't connect with the trailer for Amsterdam looks kind of odd. Um, it's touted as a mystery comedy. And I, I, I don't know. I don't know if there's a better way to start talking about it than now. It's probably the best segue we'll get. So with that, we should probably shift into our formal review of uh, David O. Russell's Amsterdam. So Amsterdam is the story of three 
friends, three wayward individuals, two veterans and one, uh, let's, let's say, well-off nurse in France. Uh, our two veterans are Christian Bale and John David Washington, uh, play two soldiers who get injured together while fighting in France during the war in the 1930s. And uh, our Margot Robbie plays the nurse who saves them and helps dig shrapnel out of their shredded bodies. And then jump ahead in time, uh, our, our three characters are, are living by themselves doing their own thing. Christian Bale is a doctor, kind of a kooky guy who's, who's very injured from the war and has a glass eye and uh, helps other veterans with uh, amputee stuff, looking uh, restorative prosthetics. Uh, John David Washington is an attorney in New York, and Margot Robbie is uh, off and about kind of doing her own thing, making art, figuring herself out. The three of them, after witnessing a murder, uh, have to come together and clear their names after they're framed. Uh, by <laughs> interacting with uh, a un unique host of, of, of characters from uh, all over Hollywood. Uh, a stellar cast list in David O. Russell's uh, uh, Amsterdam, including Christian Bale, Margot Robbie, John David Washington, Alessandro Nivola, Andrea Riseborough, Anya Taylor-Joy, Chris Rock, Michael Shannon, Mike Myers, Taylor Swift, Timothy Oliphant, Zoe Saldana, Rami Malek, Robert De Niro. I, 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 dude. It reads like a rap sheet for like great talent. It's crazy how many good people are in this movie. So... It's a bit of a disappointment that it hasn't done well. Let's talk about why. Andy, what did you think of Amsterdam? Um, so I first had kind of heard a lot of really bad things about this. I heard that it was a d bigger disaster than Don't Worry Darling. It was like 20% on, on Rotten Tomatoes, which I try not to really care about tomato score because it, it can be so skewed. Um, not, it's not a mixed bag. I it's, love the tomato score. <laughs> it's it's a mixed bag. There are some some good parts about it. A lot that doesn't work. It definitely doesn't work as well as it should, given the cast, given the director. Um, but very similar to "Don't Worry, Darling," we have uh, a kind of style over substance problem. Where, where again, we we have all all the parts that should make a great movie, and somehow it's just kind of a bland mess. Um, it's kind of funny sometimes, uh, but it's way too long. It's a little slow. It's a mystery uh, at, at its heart. It's kind of a not a whodunit, but uh, kind of what's going on. What's what's who's pulling the strings? Um, and when we, all is re revealed, you're you know it's not very fulfilling. <laughs> Similar to Don't Worry, Darling. It's it's not very uh, fulfilling in any in any kind of way. It's got lots of, of problems. It's got a few things that work, but it's uh, strangely just just okay. It's kind of kind of the middle of the road. Yes, uh, I, I think Amsterdam's biggest crime is being like unequivocally uh, obtusely boring. Oh my god, is this movie boring? <laughs> It doesn't start off boring. The first act kind of gets going. Yeah, Christian Bale is this twisted up doctor with the glass eye and he's half blown up and he's like got this hunch like the whole movie right like bale's gotta lean in and do like a weird body thing and he totally goes for it and he, he looks so uncomfortable but he's kind of funny and he, he tries taking his own like experimental medications concoctions of you know nicotine and cocaine or god knows whatever he could get in the 30s and he's kind of a funny character. I think he's supposed to be expressly funny. John David Washington's a bit more of a straight man, right? He's this attorney who's kind of got himself together since the war and is looking to fight on behalf of veterans and, and, and justice, and of course, racial injustice in the 30s. Uh, Margot Robbie is, uh, as Andy described earlier today when we were talking about it, uh, undoubtedly a manic pixie dream girl. And it's, it's funny because I didn't see it when I watched it. I just thought of her as kind of this like 
kind of airheaded artist character who doesn't really have a whole lot going on, but it's certainly well-funded. Uh, but he's right. She is. And, and between like just the three of them up front, you would think, oh, this is totally going to work. So imagine our surprise when the movie comes out and it gets like a 20 on Rotten. <laughs> and then since then has gone up a little bit. It's got like a 33. Like Andy said, it's got a piece in the score, which is fine. But uh, like stark, stark problems for what should otherwise be a pretty good feature. Right. Like that's that's concerning. And when you actually sit down and watch it, it turns out it's two hours and 14 minutes. It's got really poor pacing and a script that simply isn't funny. It's not funny. And, and it's listed on IMDb as a mystery comedy. And I wrote it on the on the slide here for the show, mystery comedy. It's it, it's not funny. So, like, you've got a movie with a lot of people, but tonally it's inconsistent and it's got horrific pacing. Uh, that's going to present problems. What What does work about this, do you think, Andy? I think the cast does okay with what it's given. Um, Christian Bale is great. Like he's like, he, he's not playing himself. He really is uh, a different character. Everyone else is kind of just themselves. Rami Malek is, uh, is also very, very good. He can be so subtle, um, you know, uh, as he, he plays kind of a, a wealthy person uh, as, as well. Uh, Tom Vose. But so the cast does a well, I, I think what what we can get into right away is the plot because it's kind of convoluted and it's where a lot of our problems start because um, the movie opens with what, what we've seen in the trailers a lot. Uh, a man is dead and uh, Christian Bale's character and John David Washington are kind of wrongly uh, accused of his murder right away. And so the first like third to half of the movie is spent with them trying to clear their names, trying to, they're like avoiding the police. They're trying, trying to, you know, prove and their societal issues here, trying to prove who they are and that they're not, you know, that they didn't uh, commit this crime. And then like the real story of, of what's really going on kind of takes center stage. And it's, it's just a very strange plot thing that's going on and that's how the movie starts but then we get this big flashback back to you know the first world war where john david washington and uh christian bale first meet and they also meet uh valerie who is their nurse again this is part of the manic pixie dream girl is that she is their nurse she picks she literally picks shrapnel out of their back and then yes. they art with the shrapnel because she's so quirky um so we we get to establish we, we establish their their friendship and their relationships her and john david washington are like instantly in a romantic uh relationship uh so the, their friendship uh kind of works uh again the characters are probably the stronger part of this but like the plot is just all over the place it is. Yeah. Uh, the plot is messy. And I think a big part of that is because David O. Russell seems to have taken a real liking to uh, just not I, on, in my opinion, if I had to guess, there's not a lot of storyboards for Amsterdam. There's not a lot of visual like sat down and sketched out what a scene is going to look like scenes for Amsterdam. Like it feels like they built a bunch of sets. They had the characters stand in them and do their lines like it's a play. And O'Russell sneaks in with a camera and holds it below eyeline, aiming up at people and has some, you know, decent soft light coming in through the windows with like, I don't know, smoke or dust or something for some texture in the background. The sets are really plain. Costuming's all right. 
the 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 characters, the actors are expected to elevate the entire thing. Like clearly, that that's what's going on here because it's not a very visual movie. There's not a lot of action. Uh, the action you do see is very limited. There's very few exterior shots. Almost everything is indoors. God, when they go to Amsterdam, you never actually see them running around in Amsterdam. Every shot is interior. Everyone, and it's like okay, my characters are telling me they're having a good time. Why don't you show me? Why don't you, why don't you bring the audience in for the vision that you see? And that doesn't happen here. Like, it's it's much more closed off. It's clearly, I, I, like I said, it feels closer to a stage play, um, but not a good one <laughs> because Amsterdam is arguably supposed to be a globe-trotting film uh, where, where characters are literally traveling across continents and, and oceans and countries uh, to interact with one another. I, there, there's... Themes, like Andy said, of, of societal issue, race, uh, religion, uh, class. There's definitely some classists in here. Uh, media interpretation. There's actually a lot going on. I think Amsterdam has a bit to say, but it doesn't say any of it particularly clearly. It's also confusing. Characters will be introduced who you don't know with motivations that don't really become clear. Uh, for a couple characters ever in the whole movie, there, there, there's a handful that like I, I genuinely don't understand why they're in the feature other than they, I don't know. They know David O. Russell and David O. Russell was like, hey, come come on set for, for two hours and let me film a scene with you and we'll stick it in the movie. Like it's, it's odd. And what's most odd about it is how it got such a stellar freaking cast. Um, I have a theory why that is. Andy, any ideas? Uh, I'm not real sure, but I did want to read down the, this list. So, of course, we have the, the titular Christian Bale, Margot Robbie, John David Washington, but we also have Alessandro Nivola, Andrea Riseborough, Anya Taylor-Joy, Chris Rock, Michael Shannon, Mike Myers, Taylor Swift, <laughs> Timothy Oliphant, Zoe Saldana, Rami Malek, Robert De Niro. Like That's like 15 people, huge names, uh, but they're all largely wasted. Um, most of them are in supporting roles, and they're not... I mean, they just have a handful of scenes like Zoe Saldana's character is barely in it. Um, it could have been anyone, literally. And it, right. it, it their their talents are they're not really lent. And it's not like they're doing I mean, they're all doing their thing like De Niro's doing the, the De Niro thing. Um, right. Taylor Swift is I can't decide if she's a bad actress or I just or if I just cannot if I can only see Taylor Swift when she's on screen. And I like I... Have a hard time seeing her as anything else. You know, it's it's a little both, but like if I can, if I, it, it's because she's a bad actress. She's really bad. Like she does not, she's not. Can I? I don't. I. You know, she doesn't act a lot, but like never once have I seen Taylor Swift on screen and not thought the entire time, boy, it's really cool. Somebody knew Taylor Swift and she could come do lines in this movie or this show. Like it, she never. I've never lost her in the role. Like I just don't. I don't. I don't see it. I don't. I don't know. I haven't. I haven't seen her elevate that way you're right everybody almost everybody's wasted in this uh one of the first first build on on this movie is alessandro nivola and like he is one of my favorite like up-and-comers he was breakout of the the art of self-defense movie we really liked very tense <laughs> very interesting uh he's got like six lines in this movie and i can't even tell if his character is a moron or is like I don't know. I, I, I really I really couldn't tell you because it's just not there on the screen. 
Like it's it's just not made obvious what's happening. A lot of the film is strung together with voiceover, with our characters like very bluntly explaining what's happening. And it reminded me of like the studio complaining to Ridley Scott after his first cut of Blade Runner. And they were like, you got to get Harrison Ford to come in and narrate this. It doesn't make any sense. Nobody's going to know what's happening here. Like that's that's what it feels like. Like it feels like it has to be there because no one would be able to keep up with whatever David O. Russell thinks this movie is supposed to be and, and leaving your audience out in the cold especially for over two hours like leads to a pretty boring movie <laughs> leads to a movie where like nothing exciting is, is really happening it's a lot of people talking in rooms about stuff that should feel important feels important to them they're very emotional all these actors really go for it when they can uh, but there's just no like ooey gooey center <laughs> at the end of amsterdam uh it's, it's weird it's I just think. not engaging at all and you were mentioning like there yeah it tries to say some things about race and they're trying to uncover this conspiracy uh thing that that's kind of going on uh, but it's just so surface level it's like oh people were racist in the 30s oh people were you know swayed by fascism in, in the 30s it's like okay and and what <laughs> right and what and what about that what if, yeah what if, how does that apply to today you know it's just like it's saying a whole lot of, of nothing um and it's just touching on you know these issues with without delving deep and it's just it's not engaging at all like it's just like you don't care no my my theory for the cast list before we wrap up uh, i i think this got produced um with a cascading effect of actors and actresses finding out other talent was attached to it that'll happen often right like a movie will be getting made and somebody will say oh this person's going to be the star and somebody else will go oh that person's going to be in it well god i've really wanted to work with them for a long time right margot robbie might have been like christian bale's going to be in this movie well god i'd love to work with christian he's amazing sure i'll be in the movie and john david washington hears wow christian bale and margot robbie are going to be in this i want to be in that too and before you know it you got de niro at the end of the list <laughs> and a bunch of other people who are really talented you know and I, I think that's a good thing i do you're right there are some performances that stand out i mean malik's great i actually really like mike myers i think he's probably the funniest part of the movie um but it also opens the door for somebody like taylor swift to come in and and just be not convincing at all or, or maybe like john david washington whose character is very wooden uh to just step on any any kind of like airiness or laugh that would be present in half the movie which is consistent too because his character's not always like that there's some scenes where he's like good and engaging and other scenes where he's just so dry and milk toast it's like i can't get a read on whether or not you're playing an attorney or you're just somebody who i don't know wants to play at being an attorney I, I don't know but it just doesn't it doesn't work it doesn't work and, and amsterdam comes off like less than some of its parts so with that any other thoughts for final recommendations uh no i think i'm ready andy would you recommend amsterdam i'm gonna say soft pass maybe save it for streaming uh if you're really interested in it the i mean the cast is is you know it's a great cast and it's unfortunately just doesn't lead to much uh the plot is all over the place it doesn't make a lot of sense doesn't say much it's super shallow um some uh, most of the cast is wasted un unfortunately all the good stuff you see most mostly in the trailers like chris rock's best lines are in the trailers uh so yeah like i said if you're interested save it for streaming otherwise probably pass yeah I i'm in the same boat like if you're really intrigued and we haven't knocked you off this and the rotten tomato score <laughs> hasn't knocked you off it you're the person this movie's made for because like you're gonna i think you're gonna watch it and feel the same way we do like it's just 
not there. And it's weird. It's weird that a movie gets put in theaters with a budget like this one does, $80 million, and is such a phenomenal bomb. Like it, it really feels like it is a it's a film built on a cult of personality, built around David O. Russell. That people think, oh yeah, he's done some stuff that's good. He did American Hustle, right? He did We Heart Huckabees, he did Silver Linings Playbook. It'll be great. And the fact is, like all of those movies are pretty good, but like this this is not bigger than American Hustle. This is this is this isn't it. I think that's I think that's all I have to say about Amsterdam. Uh, with that, we should move on to our next segment. Andy, you mind introing this for us? It's time for the trailer park. Perfect. Uh, oh, and God, you're talking about the first one. Three movies this week. Uh, why don't you open it up for us? Uh, Violent Night. So this is a new Christmas-themed action comedy from the writers or creators of Nobody, which starred Bob Odenkirk uh, that we reviewed earlier in the year, maybe last year. Uh, stars uh, David Harbour of Stranger Things fame as Santa Claus. And he's kind of, he's not an old drunk, but he's kind of embracing that kind of character. He's kind of cynical. He's not real happy about doing the job. He he goes down the, the chimney and finds that there's like this family being um, like kidnapped or assaulted. And he uh, turns to his, ma- his bag of magical gifts and starts uh, fighting people and whooping ass. Uh, and, you know, clobbering them, getting weapons out of his bag. And it, it's like this action comedy thing. And uh, I love how this movie looks, and I can't wait to see it. This is actually coming out this Christmas season. I'm a little skeptical about Violent Night. Uh, Murderous Santa is a gag as old as time, right? Like the jo- jolly old Saint Nick uh, being a badass is like a, 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 a spoof we've seen on SNL and any other sketch show. Like that's worth its salt. Like I and so actually doing it and and kind of producing a tongue in cheek feature with David Harbor playing the fat man. Uh, and whipping out, you know, magical scrolls and making candy cane shanks to attack people is pretty funny. Like, and I, I like that the movie is kind of like attempting to play straight, right? Like, I think that's good stuff. The only thing I'm surprised about with this movie is that it's theatrical. It seems it seems like perfect straight to streaming fare, but uh, not Violent Night. That will be in theaters December 2nd. And speaking of theaters, when you talk about Super Mario Bros. movie. So the Super Mario Brothers movie is an anomaly, right? Nintendo has been working with Illumination Entertainment, the producers of Despicable Me, uh, to or the creators, I should say, the, the animation studio, about it, to create the Super Mario Brothers movie, not the one from the 90s with Bob Hoskins and John Leguizamo. After that, they got burned. They haven't done it in 30 years, but here we are now. This is it. And the Super Mario Brothers movie has premiered with a trailer that ran during a Nintendo Direct starring uh, a very unique voice cast including chris pratt as mario uh jack black as bowser anya taylor joy as peach and charlie day as luigi also seth rogan as donkey kong a couple other people like Mike key as toad uh and yeah it's super mario brothers right like it, it's supposed to be the plumber we know and love saving the princess in the mushroom kingdom uh, from big bad bowser only this one is a little different um andy what'd you think um, I thought that this looked fine. This movie's gonna make a billion dollars. It's yeah, gonna yeah, be so sure. big. It's yeah. I mean, it's gonna be bigger than Minions, maybe. Uh, mm. that brand that was a brand that is huge and that no one knew. And this has forty years of history. I played the original <laughs> game on the original NES. So it's gonna get the parents. It's gonna get the kids. It looks great. Yep. Chris Pr- Pratt is fine. Uh, he's been catching some flack for not sounding Italian enough, or not really. He just kind of sounds like Chris Pratt, which I think is fine. I, I think if you were doing a 
an Italian accent. It, I don't know. You might run into some problematic things there. So it's it, he's fine, but it looks great. It looks super detailed. The opening is has kind of this epic, almost game Game of Thrones kind of opening with Bowser and the castle and this penguin army. Um, I, I'm excited to see it just because uh, you know it's it's the nostalgia works on me for sure, uh, and it, it's going to make so much money. Yeah, same boat. This movie's going to make a billion dollars for sure. Uh, it is popular. Mar- Mario is like, come on. Mario's pop- more popular than Sonic, more po- popular than Detective Pikachu, and both those movies made like $800 million. Uh, it's from Illumination. It has a ridiculous marketing budget behind it. Nintendo's really pushing for it. Jack Black's really good as Bowser. Uh, I mean, this is just a teaser. Surely there's going to be more to come. So I, I don't love Chris Pratt <laughs> as Mario, but like it is what it is. We all knew it was a gag like the second they announced it like a year ago that Chris Pratt is going to be voicing Mario. People, people dunked on it then. And then it comes out and it's like, yep, still still a bad choice, you know, uh, but they committed. It is what it is. They're not going to fake that, you know, they're not going to go back and revoice him. So we got Chris Pratt as Mario. Time will tell what comes next for the Super Mario Bros. movie is going to make a billion dollars, though. Absolutely. And finally, we have uh, this trailer just came out today. It's called Megan, spelled with uh, the number three uh, to replace the, the E. Hey, sorry, guys. I'm back. Uh, more computer issues. We're really struggling this week. Anyway, uh, Megan is the trailer Andy was talking about. Uh, Megan is from the this is the most important. This is the most important bit of Megan. Megan. Uh, it is from James Wan, producer of uh, produced by James Wan, a director of Malignant and from the writers of Malignant. Andy, I was just telling them that uh, Megan is from the writers of Malignant. That's all I got. Though. I didn't even talk about the plot. You want to uh, tell people what they're in for? Yeah, sorry. Computer restarted. Yeah. Uh, um, yes. It, so Megan is a uh, story of this woman who has to kind of adopt this young girl whose parents die in a car crash. Uh, the woman works on some sort of weird robot doll, like AI thing. It's like life-size robot she brings the the doll home so that this young girl can, can kind of have a sister to play with turns out the doll is a kind of murderous goes on a murderous rampage in in you know in efforts to protect the child from all bad or anything she feels is bad um and the, the trailer looks kind of generic and then the last bit of the trailer gets like absurdly violent uh which is on brand for uh anything made by the creators of malignant uh this it's it's pretty much a ripoff of, of child's play but it still looks like fun and silly and it's the kind of horror you you know watch with friends have a good time zach what do you what do you think of this uh i i don't think much of the trailer for megan and i didn't up until i found out that it was from the people who made malignant and then i thought oh okay i know what this movie's gonna be if you've seen malignant you're probably in on the joke if you haven't seen malignant i think the most broad way to talk about it is it's going to be a very traditional horror film just with some like crazy jump the shark moments that are so outlandish and out there people will write it as meta and think it's like a clever statement on the industry by reflecting on its horror roots with nostalgia laden themes that sounds silly but like basically it's going to be a cheesy horror flick that's really it and and like i guess that's fine (laughs) like god i did did not think much of malignant and i don't think i didn't think much of this one either but like it sure does look goofy like the the effect they've got they've got a little girl uh wearing 
a mask like that looks like a robot so all of her movement is fluid and real but the mask is animatronic and that creates a really funny uncanny valley effect that like i gotta respect that does look kind of cool <laughs> it does it does look weird and creepy so i don't know maybe yeah, maybe megan will be fire i'm not i'm not hopeful but like you know it, hey. it's definitely a young actress with like a kind of a deep fake face to make her look d- doll like yeah, I was looking at it on IMDb and they've got two people playing Megan. It's a young girl and then like an older woman who does the voice. So I think that's that's the gag. And yeah, they just I don't know. We'll have to see what happens. And that's Megan. Uh, and that's the trailer park for this week. Uh, we should probably get into our final film of the episode. Andy's graciously agreed to take the summary on this one. Andy, please take it away. Hellraiser. So this is not the original Hellraiser. This is a what's been called a reimagining because it's not a remake or a reboot or a sequel or anything like that. It's a reimagining of the uh, 1987 classic. Very, very different. Um, I've pointed out that the first Hellraiser is a very different movie from kind of the other nine films, which uh, succeed it. Um, I'm not going to get into the story of the, the first one, but in this one and most of them, it's about someone discovers the, uh, the lament configuration, the cursed puzzle box. They solve it. And, uh, these creatures called the Cenobites come after they come to collect uh, whoever's, uh, solved the box. So this one's, uh, no, no different. We meet, uh, Riley played by Odessa Azion, who, uh, is an addict and living with her brother and his two roommates. And she's dating this kind of shady, boyfriend uh at one point he suggests he knows about some big secret shipment coming in and says hey there's a big score uh help me steal this thing and sell it for a lot of money uh and then uh, you know things will work out so they that's exactly what they do they acquire the box someone solves it and then people start to die as as uh happens in all in all these movies and we we discovered that there's a lot more and that uh, a lot of people are gonna be sacrificed we meet some new cenobites uh which are the the creatures from hell and we including uh the new pinhead uh played by jamie clayton um and that's kind of our story is not not really that's the setup is the same for all these movies um and they kind of de- depend on the the gore and the grotesqueries of of the cenobites uh, and and their desire for pain and flesh and that's kind of our setup zach what'd you think so it's funny like i really liked like the first probably act first half of hellraiser because i, I thought it was really elevating like the original work into a space that's like really clever and smart and has some really well-directed scenes uh like good good horror stuff pulpy good suspense um god and it weaves that old soundtrack in perfect the soundtrack to new hellraiser is solid like it really elevates what's going on there it's good stuff i like these young actors and actresses they have uh our young lead uh odessa azion i think is how you pronounce her name plays mm-hmm. riley she's really great um i was really interested to see where it goes but then Hellraiser does something funny and it shifts from what I thought was going to be this like really smart razor sharp like spin to what Hellraiser became over the course of its like seven films, which is not goofy per se, but like 
it's it's it somehow stops taking itself seriously halfway through it and becomes more of a hang out with your friends and drink and watch a horror movie than like a really serious grounded elevated horror film and that's not bad um i think actually it is better than the sum of its parts i actually liked hellraiser um but i wish i had had a better idea going in because i i <laughs> I approached the first half of this with some mad respect. I was like, oh, dude, this movie's going for it. And then later it's like, oh, it's not going for it. <laughs> it was. It kind of was. And then it kind of steps away from that into a different space. And I think that's just a result of the screenplay, which ultimately is not bad. I, like I said, I like this movie. Um, so let's jump into it. Uh, where, where do you want to start? Um, Gosh. Why don't we start with our, uh, I mean, with our cast, uh, basically mostly unknowns. Uh, they're fine. They're all going to be uh, set up for the slaughter, as <laughs> generally happens uh, right. with these. Uh, the problem, uh, one of the issues is that the rules of the world kind of aren't, aren't consistent and, and fluctuate. There's uh, the box is very different. Uh, it ha has several configurations where in the original is just kind of one thing. Uh, the question of who, uh, has to be sacrificed is constantly kind of shifting and not real consistent. Um, but uh, there's multiple plots going on. Uh, again, there's these this kind of let let's steal this thing and and sell it. And then there's uh, well, there's actually more going on behind the scenes. A larger party is interested. They end up at this kind of uh, old house uh, that has this very unconvincing CGI fence fencing all around it. It is cool uh, looking, but it's not. Yeah, it's very obvious. Yeah, there's a lot of there's just a lot of scenes that'll just they're so absurd they'll they'll make you laugh. Uh, I do want to talk about uh, the hell priest themselves, uh, Pinhead, or Son who is collo yeah, colloquially known as Pinhead, played by Jamie Clayton. So this was a kind of a big deal because Pinhead has been traditionally played by a man. It's the first time. All right, I'm gonna jump in here uh andy is out again we're having just all kinds of stuff going on this week i promise normally we're more put together than this uh so andy was talking about jamie clayton as pinhead or the priest uh the priest is traditionally uh played by a man so it's a big leap that the priest is played or pinhead is played by jamie clayton a woman a lot of people who were hellraiser fans were questionable about this they were like hey what's that about ultimately she's pretty good I don't think Jamie Clayton's a bad pinhead. Andy's back. Uh, I was just saying, I don't think Jamie Clayton is a poor pinhead. No, uh, she's fine. She's just not remarkable, though. Like you, the one of the most iconic things about the original pinhead, aside from the look, is the voice uh, by Peter Bradley. Doug, Doug Bradley. Doug Bradley. That's right. Yeah. Um, and uh, this pinhead is just uh, the voice is just kind of okay. It's just it's more about like if you didn't have all the makeup on, would it be an interesting character? And the answer is kind of like, well, not not really. And it's like also this literally could have been anyone because there's so much makeup and, and things on like you. It doesn't matter that it's Jamie Clayton or anyone else. It's just um, and it's all CGI pins as well. It's a little disappointing. I think. Yeah, maybe not. I was having trouble telling like maybe not the, the lines on the face are like it's definitely enhanced by CGI. If it's not all CGI, there's there's some help there. But yeah, Clayton will get no roles from Hellraiser like this. This did nothing for her career. Um, nobody's going to be like, wow, she's so good. Like just because you don't really see her under, you know, everything that a Cenobite has. And the other Cenobites are the same way. I've, I've seen people I've seen people complaining that some of the old ones aren't in here, but there's some decent Cenobites. There's uh, so the many. There's creepy. almost too many. There's almost too many. Uh, Hellraiser, 
2022 here has a unique problem where I think the best Hellraiser stories are people who are using the box. They're using the Cenobites. They're using the magic in for nefarious means, usually for themselves, chasing the idea of this euphoria or pleasure that can come out of the box alongside the pain that often is associated, right? The, the peaks of, of, of physical ability. That's what, that's what the box is giving you pleasure or pain. Um, and this is best seen probably in the first Hellraiser movie when we have Frank, a character who is trying to use the box for his own nefarious means, is dragged to hell by the Cenobites and somehow manages to come back and has to restore himself by consuming the souls of other victims. It's horrifying and twisted in this body horror. This movie, however, takes a different approach for most of its runtime where the box is kind of just like tumbling through a group of people. <laughs> it's not it's not anybody necessarily like steering what's happening it's kind of just like unfortunate people who are running into it and then are getting injured by it and then are getting dragged to hell by cenobites it, it reminds me of like the necronomicon from evil dead Andy said it perfect cursed object it's a bit more of a cursed object movie and i don't know if that's a good thing because i think part of what's so unique about hellraiser is that the box is not necessarily evil the box is not necessarily the bad thing the bad thing is like you know the the duality of man and the desire for you know self-gain and like the greed and like that's the stuff that makes the box an evil tool that's what makes the box bad and when the box by itself is just all around bad all the time and anybody who comes in contact nearly anybody who comes in contact with it uh false victim to it is weird like i and i don't i I think that's a bit of a miss the thematically right Uh, again in the original the cenobites pinhead they don't show up until the last third of the movie near near the end almost and the the first two thirds are are again about uh this weird relationship between frank and julia and she's his accomplice and and helping him kill people so he can get his get his body back like that is is horrifying and and the cenobites kind of come to collect and they're they're exciting but they weren't the focus of that original movie they very much are here again there there's a ton of other uh cenobites um i just want to mention we get uh the chatterer who's a classic the weeper the gasp the asphyx which to me those are kind of the same um the mother the mask yeah so the, uh, it's kind of all right and you have this kind of night of the living dead thing where they're just like kind of slowly walking around and people are trying to just run from them um and that's not really also what what these beings are supposed to be uh about and so it's just it's kind of all over the place yeah, unfortunately it is. If you haven't seen the original Hellraiser and you don't have a frame of reference for what we're talking about, I'd say the, the closest example is 1999's The Mummy, because you have the mummy character, Imhotep, who comes back as like a third of a man and has to be like restored by sucking the same, same gag. Um, and imagine if in 1999's The Mummy, instead of having Imhotep, the, the, the mummy, the character who is like consuming souls and and driving you know the plot through his magic you just have the book of the dead and every time somebody touches it they get iced like it's not it's suddenly not as exciting and it still works but it it shifts the cenobites and it shifts pinhead into this role as being like more antagonist than just being like the carrier out of of justice or injustice evil doing in the case of the original and and i don't know if that's a good thing like i don't i don't 
I don't like it. I, I like the idea of these like all powerful demon beings just being totally on the sidelines for humanity until somebody comes along and channels them into uh, nefarious deeds. Like if they're in, in this movie, they're like hungry freaking wolves. They can't wait to get a hold of souls. Yeah. And it's like, I don't know. <laughs> not not the same the box is cool i should say i I did like that the people who who touch the box are almost like compelled to it like it draws them to it i think that's a good bit of hellraiser but um i wish there was a bit more like human evil behind that i don't don't know maybe i'm maybe i'm just trying to form it into a hellraiser movie in my head yeah no you're exactly right there's not our our characters are our human characters are troubled but they're not bad people um like again in that that original one they're just kind of they stumbled upon this cursed object and they're trying trying to survive yeah like and and the problem is these these people who are not bad like ultimately fall victim to this thing and this happens in in old hellraiser but that's like the tragedy that somebody who is completely uninvolved with this thing is sucked into this horrible thing and then the people who are bad end up getting their comeuppance right but like for most of this film because you don't have somebody bad at the steering wheel the people who are getting ax- basically accidentally nicked by the box and getting iced for it like you don't I guess you feel bad for him at first, but when it happens to like the fourth or fifth character, it's like, okay, <laughs> this keeps on going. Come on. Yeah. Right. And, and that, that would be where this movie shifts more into like a movie you watch with your buddies when you're drinking on Halloween, like kind of throw it on in the background. It's all right. It's definitely, it's definitely got some good scares. There's some well, well put together scenes in here, but it doesn't quite have the screenplay. Need, need some red pen. Somebody to tighten this thing up a little bit. Also, it's not need to be two hours. Yeah, it's it's long. It's long. Um, it's important to mention that HBO is working on developing a Hellraiser series, um, which I'm super excited about. Um, and this is kind of an interesting juxtaposition to that because this is very, I don't know, B tier budget. This is budget Hellraiser. Um, oh, now I remember what I was going to mention. There's a lot of references to Hellraiser two, which they, they kind of go into hell, and there's lots of wandering around like maze of corridors. And there's a lot of that in this movie as well, where you like these kind of passages between dimensions open up and characters are like running through tunnels a lot. That's kind of a, a reference to the second movie, but it just it happens a lot. And it's just kind of aimless at the same time. Yeah, uh, it is a cool effect. I, I liked when somebody has, has kind of triggered the evils of the box and starts to see these visions and starts to feel like they're getting dragged down to hell. The way the sets would shift and move and like a door would swing open or a pit like that stuff's really cool. And, and Andy's right. That's right out of Hellraiser 2. Like that's where that comes from. But uh, at the same time, like it doesn't always work. Uh, the Cenobites don't look great in this movie and i think it's because they're not lit very well it's questionable lighting in hellraiser uh and often like they're so starkly lit they look like mighty Morphin power ranger villains like movie of the week just kind of you know standing there in their latex gimp suits like they look fine but like part of what worked about old hellraisers one it does not get to you know your, your baddies till nearly the end and two they're always like sh- shadow and like smoke and like, you know, that you don't get a good look at them and they're, they're like glistening and slimy and gross and bloody. And this like they're, they're, they're almost too clean 
and, and they're shot in a way that's too clean and they end up looking more like people standing around in suits to me than like proper demons but I, obviously i'm coming in right pretty hot a- on what i expect from hellraiser movies it's just me i, I don't know yeah, that's part of the the Cenobites are supposed to kind of be these grotesque, like open wounds, exposed flesh kind of thing. Um, and yeah, in this, you can tell everyone's wearing latex suits and they're just painted yeah. right and sprayed shiny. And it's it's yeah, that's part of the gro- the grotesqueness is supposed to be how they look like walking corpses. Right. Like part of there's an old thing in 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 practical effects especially when it comes to gore like that that's a challenge i think uh that cgi has helped with over the years it's whenever you're removing like or whenever you're causing the injury a scar on somebody or like removing flesh you have to take mass away from the actor right to make it look convincing if you're going to chuck a cut cut a chunk out of somebody's skin then when you see that person on screen it better look like there's a chunk of skin missing and when you add prosthetics you're you're adding layers you're adding latex on top of skin and if you do that too much it bulks up your actors and actresses and makes them look thicker or bigger than they would be had that skin actually been taken away like the effect you're trying to produce this is a problem with nearly every one of these cenobites none of them look as if they're at, they've actually lost mass none of them look as, as if they've lost flesh it looks it, like it's just been put on like them you, you paid for an expensive halloween costume yes kind of yeah like like functionally that's the issue and, and there's ways around it you know i i do think a lot of these are enhanced with cgi but ultimately like don't, don't, don't really work great visually but that's okay like uh, the cenobite's got a surprising amount of screen time here so you can wrestle with that uh what you know however you like at least there's a few of them to look at um ultimately like i, I do think hellraiser is not bad i, I do think it's fun um i liked our cast i thought they worked pretty hard our, our lead is really solid but ultimately um it's not i guess i should say i, I am curious to see what hbo is doing it doesn't it didn't quite scratch the itch in the way i wanted like man old hellraiser was like horrifying to me like my god twisted and and screwy with body horror and all kinds of like sick ideas and this just doesn't quite get over there for me but it is fun and that's worth mentioning because fun horrors were something yeah, they, there are. I, I think this is definitely something that's uh, for the fans. You know, if you're a fan yeah. of the, the you're going to have a good time. And being a resident Hellraiser fan, Andy, I've got to know, would you recommend Hellraiser? Well, like I said, I definitely recommend it for the fans. If if you're if you've seen all of them, bless your heart. If you've seen all nine Hellraiser films, my uh, God. But if you if you're a fan of the you know especially the original for the first two or three, uh, it's definitely for you. It, it hits a lot of the but buttons we have the cenobites we have the puzzle box we have kind of these shifting dimensions we have some some fun lines uh our our human characters are kind of a snooze not very interesting uh, then again they're not bad guys they're just unfortunate most of the time um it's all right uh definitely save it for streaming which it's already on but definitely for the fans yeah, I'm in the same boat. It was not quite like the big theatrical something it needed to be, but it's close. It could have been. I, I think if they had tightened it up a little bit, maybe bumped up the budget, give it, given it to a director with a bit, a little bit more work. David Bruckner does a fine job here for his first big, uh, you know, kind of big feature. But uh, I, I think this could have been a theatrical feature. I really do. Like, I think there was a way you could have angled what they had here, and it would have worked. Um, but for what it is, it's solid. Yeah, for streaming horror feature, you could certainly do far worse. I did not mind Hellraiser too much. Lightweight. Well, mildly lightweight as far as 
watching horror movies at home go uh it is it is it is gory for what it's worth uh but yeah if you're interested check out hellraiser if not you heard it here first and with that we should wrap up our episode for the week andy what are we watching next week so next week we have uh the big release of halloween ends I almost forgot the title. The uh, the final, not final, it's not going to say final, the third film in, in the more modern Halloween series uh, starring uh, Jamie Lee Curtis uh, and The Shape of uh, Michael Myers. That comes out uh, this Friday on uh, October 14th. Theaters, actually theaters and Peacock. So owners of Peacock will also be able to watch it on uh, streaming, That's uh, right. which is real convenient. And we're also going to. There's not a lot of new releases, both in theater and in streaming uh, this uh, this week. So we're going to be taking a look at Blonde, the Anna de Armas Marilyn Manson biopic, uh, which came out at the end of last month, and that's going to be on Netflix. That's that's a long watch. It's like two hours forty five minutes. Uh, so we'll be reporting back with that uh, next week. Yeah, excited to check out Halloween Ends, if only because you know. It's supposed to actually be the end. We'll see, right? Uh, I thought the whole gag with Michael Myers is he's never really gone, but maybe in Jamie Lee Curtis's case, this will be... It's got to be like the third or fourth time she's died in this series. Like, I, I swear... I, I mean, I, I, maybe I'm wrong. I'm pretty sure this is Halloween 11, like, yeah. for what it's worth. Like, so I, I just don't... Uh, we'll see. Uh, Blonde is harrowing it's long and we've heard some pretty divisive things about it so you know we'll check it out we'll see what it's about and we'll get back to you next week with it if you liked what we're doing here today if you enjoyed the show you can follow us on facebook where we live stream the show every tuesday afternoon you can follow us on youtube where we upload our live streams we're on itunes google play spotify iHeartMedia, all those usual podcast spots and we're on social media facebook instagram twitter you can find us over there too. If you want to support your boys here at Offscript, the biggest thing you can do is subscribe to the show. Subscribe to new to get new episodes of Offscript delivered straight to your phone every single week. You can also check out our website, offscriptfilmreview.com, and you can email us correspondence, hot takes, news. Tell us what you thought of these movies, maybe other movies that are on your mind, at mail at offscriptfilmreview.com. I think that wraps the plugs. Uh, oh, hey, one more thing. Andy, did you mention what's coming out uh, October 21st? That is going to be uh, Black Adam, the oh, long, the, the long-awaited uh, Dwayne Johnson ser- superhero picture, which also stars uh, Pierce Brosnan as uh, Doctor Fate, along with some other superheroes. That's going to be a huge release. We'll see how The Rock does when he's in uh, the superhero genre. This movie was supposed to come out like three years ago, so and it was yeah. announced, and it was announced like eight years ago. So it's finally coming out definitely looking forward I, to it i think black adam is going to make 800 million dollars global just gonna throw that number out there I, I don't know but i don't think it'll quite clear a billion but i think i think it's going to play everywhere that's for sure uh with that we should wrap the show from all of us at off script the home of both cinema i'm zach lewis and i'm dr draper thanks for watching